married 36 years. You know, how has communication with each other changed over the years? So a big piece of communication is, is conflict. How do you guys navigate that? How have you grown in your communication, in your conflict? We don't yell at each other. It's a major form of disrespect. And <clears throat> disrespect is something you don't need in, in communication. Well, right. We don't want to. We don't want to get to the point where we hold each other in contempt. You know, you have you have to you have to you have to gear back and and be able to talk about this stuff and not and not especially not in the moment. Also, often not in the moment though, if something's really not working. Yes, we're not a proponent of fighting in marriage. We're a proponent of uh, discussing and uh, working things out, um, and fighting. In, and in private, too, because it's like you don't right. want to, especially like if something's like, some, something's happens in, in the family realm, we talk about it later. And a lot of it deals with just respect for the other person. Yeah. And who should you respect more than your wife? No one. No oh, one. <laughs> not, not for you, too. And there's one other thing that gets in the way of communication with married couples, and it's the kids. Okay. Um, you can be having a really important discussion, and the kids burst right into that, and it can be that can just be gone and destroy it. So that was harder when the kids were little. It was harder, yeah. and you know that we got so we you know try not to have those. You know, you didn't want to let those conversations happen when when the kids were around or awake or you know. So the kids can't become more important than than uh, your conversations yeah. even. Well, yeah, and plus we always wanted the kids to know our relationship was really important to them so that, you know, we would mm -hmm. we would be, we can be better parents if you let our relationship be strong. You know, we love our kids them. enough to not let them do that. <laughs> <laughs> because it would hurt them. It, would, it would be, wouldn't be a something that would be good for them for right. to be more important than the spouse. Right. Exactly. exactly. So, so um, if there's a, a younger couple just kind of starting off, What's, what's a piece of advice you would give them when it comes to communication? Okay, I've always thought of marriage as a statue. And when the statue's first made, it's uh, perfect. When you start communicating, you can start chipping away at that statue um, and how you talk to your wife and how things go. And you chip away and you chip away. It takes a lot more effort to put that statue back together than if you never chipped away at first, you know, in the first place. Right. So don't chip away. If you chip, get, get right in there and fix that chip. Yeah, because There's all the spackling you can get, yes, yeah. you can get, fix it up. Because if you don't go in there and fix that chip and they keep on chipping away, pretty soon you don't have anything left. Yeah. And that's why a lot of marriages go away. Yep. So, so we've, been, we've been hitting here a lot of stuff when it comes to like conflict and just, just your everyday communication. What, what advice would you give uh, for a couple when it comes to like trying to get to know each other on a deeper level? Uh, One of the key elements is making time. Um, we're so busy nowadays. If you don't have the time to communicate, you're not going to go very deep. Yeah, date nights I think are really important and I know they're hard. I mean, you know. It's like you don't really know when those deeper conversations are going to come. Uh, sometimes I think we've had amazing deep conversations about about like healing things and things that had happened to us before in the car. I don't know if you're both driving, you know, you're driving, and sometimes it's out walking around the yard. You have a, you'll start being able to, to get into a really deep conversation 
and you know, and then something will pop up from the past that you know you need to deal with, and it's gonna. Everybody's got baggage, so you need to maybe purposefully talk about some things that, mm. that hurt you in the past, so that you can deal with them with with your with your spouse. And that's the way everybody's gonna feel. It's only natural to be protective of yourself. It's only natural to to not not want to um, open up about everything, you know. And if you're gonna be married and you really, really, really want to stay married, and, and you're, you've got to do it. You got to rip it, rip the bandage off, and talk about ugly things sometimes. If you don't know, those are my parents. Uh, aren't they cute? Uh, so we did. We had this plan. We were going to do a bunch of the different ones for the different sermons we were going to preach. And then um, my parents came in and did one. Actually, not that one. They did a different one. And we decided, you know what? We're just going to have them do them all uh, because they got that that uh, just decades of experience. You just kind of want to soak it up. Jonathan has joked with him like, we need to release an extended version of that just to give you the whole thing because it was really neat to just kind of let them talk. So uh, there's going to be a couple more of those coming here as we continue this series, uh, How to Get Divorced. So Week two today, if this is your first time here, my name's Adam. Uh, I'm the lead pastor here, uh, and I have really cool parents. Um, so, do you remember uh, what it was like to learn how to drive? Do you remember that experience? Um, I feel like everybody, like that left a mark on everybody in, in different ways, right? So for me, uh, I did have uh, one parent who was more chill and one parent who was a little more high-strung. Anybody else have that weird dynamic where like one, it's one experience? So my mom was much more high-strung. Um, she did the thing where... Uh, like the rapid arm movement to the to the center console, you know, and and with the the noise, the, and um, so anytime I hear somebody uh, inhale quickly, I have post traumatic stress syndrome. I think I'm doing something wrong now. So if you want to screw me up, uh, that'll do it. I'm just kidding, mom. Um, that's like a big fear of hers. Like she left some weird mark on me. I'm good. Um, I still remember the initial like learning curve of. Um, just everything was super mechanical, right? Everything was awkward. Uh, even keeping the car going in a straight line was difficult. You know, you had to go, oh, the yellow line here, the white line here, trying to keep it in that straight line turning. Remember how hard turning was at the very beginning? You know, the hand over hand thing. And then even harder was letting it go back to straight. It was like a big deal. Like, yay, we're on a new road. Like it was a victory, you know? Um, I still remember pulling into a gas station and scuffing the... Uh, hubcap because I pulled in too close. I still remember going over uh, an intersection too fast. The light was green. I was excited, um, but I didn't realize that the road I was going over had a little bit of a curve to it. So I think we got a little airborne coming out the other side. I definitely got a <gasps> for that. Um, probably more than just that. I think that one was a pretty, that was, that's another scarred conversation there. Um, I still remember after getting my driver's license, uh, starting to pull out of my parents' driveway, looking both ways, looking down, starting to pull out and seeing a yellow Corvette flying around the corner. And um, my instinct was to just pull across the street into the neighbor's driveway because I didn't think I could put it in reverse fast enough because I wasn't I coordinated. And uh, the problem was the cor Corvette driver thought the same thing. So he went to the other side and we met on the other side and uh, I ended up nose down in a ditch in my silver Dodge Neon. Yeah. Um, and the Corvette ended up up by my neighbor's house. Nobody was hurt physically, um, but emotionally, man, I do hate yellow Corvettes now, and I don't trust anyone who drives them, just so you know. Um, a lot of weird emotional things that I have learning to drive. I'm just realizing that now. Um, but as frustrating as it was to have that learning curve, 
It was an exciting experience because of what driving represents, right? Freedom, the ability to go places, right? You don't even think about it now, but back then it was a really big deal. In order to get where you wanted to go, you had to learn how to drive. It was a ticket to the show, so to speak. If you wanted to go places, do stuff, have fun, you had to learn how to drive. A prerequisite to getting where you wanted to go was learning how to drive. So what I want to talk about today is kind of like the driving of, of marriage, the driving of a relationship. Um, it's the ticket to the show, the prerequisite to get where you want to go in your relationship. It's just one word, communication. Maybe communication. If marriage is a journey, then your ability to communicate is like your ability to drive. If you know to get somewhere physically, you got to know how to drive. If you want to get somewhere in your relationship, you have to know how to communicate. Except for it's like enormously more complicated than that. So I know that there's at least one person sitting here mocking me in your head about how hard it was for me to learn how to drive. And you're sitting there going, oh, I learned how to drive four wheeler before I knew how to walk, you know? And uh, I could drive stick shift in first grade. I know you got at least one of you out here thinking that. Um, so you're awesome. Uh, but how about this? Instead of thinking about communication like you just learning how to drive by yourself, what if you had control of the steering wheel, but somebody else had control of the gas and the brake? What if that was the analogy we used there instead? So, so can you imagine, I mean, the learning curve for driving was already there. It was already difficult to try and figure this whole thing out. And now, uh, instead, you have to learn how to turn with somebody else controlling the gas and the brake. I mean, imagine how much longer the learning curve is on that. Imagine uh, the level of frustration, the level of, uh, you know, just the, the awkwardness that would continue as you went trying to learn how to do this with somebody else. The chemistry between these two people would be massively important. And I think that's kind of what communication is like. So if you're going on a journey in real life, you know, you have to, even if you have you know, like a solid car to go in, a good car that works. You know where you want to go. You have maybe a, a, a good person in the passenger seat. Uh, maybe even you have good motives for wanting to go wherever it is you wanted to go. But if you don't know how to drive, you'll never get there. I think the same thing goes for marriage. You can marry an awesome person. You can have a really good idea of what you want your marriage to look like, a good destination. You can even have good motives for wanting that. But if you don't know how to communicate, you're never going to get there. You're never going to get there. So for some of you in this room, in your marriage, this is a really big piece of your problem. If you have problems in marriage, it's the communication aspect. You've never gotten into a very good groove when it comes to communicating. Uh, and if you can't get better at it, your marriage is never going to look the way you want it to look because you can't, it's, it's like not knowing how to drive. You're never going to get there. So if that's you, uh, pick a good week to come to church because that's what we're going to hit today. So let's pray and let's jump into communication here. Jesus, I thank you for uh, being here this morning. I thank you for every single person showing up today. Lord, I pray that um, your spirit would be here. I pray um, that as we talk about this, may, there might be some stuff that bubbles up, Lord. There might be some frustrations that happen. Uh, and I just pray that you would be here in those, that you would guide us in those, and that uh, you'd bring healing into this place. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, so uh, to start off, let's just talk about the goal of communication first, right? Let's, where, where, what are we trying to do with communication, uh, specifically in a marriage? So if I ask the question, what's the goal of communication in marriage? You might say, um, 
I don't know, to, to, like, to know the other person, right? To know them. And on one level, that's a really good answer, right? To know and be known is a big aspect of communication. However, uh, I want to say on the surface, that's a little bit shallow of a goal. Um, to just know facts about another person isn't really uh, the goal of communication, right? Like my wife loves uh, the little movie Little Mermaid and she loves to go to the beach on vacation. Knowing those facts does not make my marriage better, just so you know, um, except for when Little Mermaid is on and I let her watch it. That does make my marriage better. Um, and going to the beach on vacation, that's important stuff, but I think there's something much deeper that should be our goal in communication. So if you go back to the very beginning, the very, very, very beginning, when God invented marriage uh, and he gave that to us, so God thought marriage up and he gave us marriage, uh, in Genesis 2, he says this about marriage. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Now the man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. So in marriage, two people become one. Now, I believe that's an event. Like, that happens on your wedding day. I really believe that this thing, this, whatever this is, this, this physical, emotional, spiritual thing here, I believe that happens on your wedding day. Like, when you take those vows uh, and you exchange rings before God and before witnesses, and when the marriage is consummated, like, that wedding day, this happens. Two become one. But at the same time, I think there's like another level of meaning here where it's not just an event, it's also a process. Two people becoming one. And your wedding day is just the beginning of that process of two becoming one. So two individuals now have to learn how to live in harmony with each other, right? They have to learn that with the big issues and the small issues. So you gotta, you gotta communicate about which way the toilet paper roll is gonna go on that, to- on that roll and how many kids you're gonna have, right? Those are, those are big and little issues, but through all of them, you have to be able to communicate through that. You don't get to make those decisions on your own anymore. It's not just you. You're, you're going from me to we. So rather than saying that the goal of communication is to just know the other person, I think it's a better mindset to say that the goal of communication is for two to come, become one. Two to become one. I think that changes the way you think about it, right? Rather than just knowing, uh, rather than just getting your point across, now you're realizing that, oh man, so this, this whole process of two becoming one, that's what I'm trying to do here in my communication. You're working out the details of that. So... Um, when I use the illustration of learning how to drive, maybe the first and most obvious thing that comes into somebody's mind is like, you should just get better at it the more you do it, right? And that, that's the way it played out, right? When you were learning how to drive, you just needed hours behind the wheel and you did get better. Um, however, um, I think after the initial learning curve, can we all just be honest about our driving here? After the initial learning curve, you kind of hit a plateau and it's not necessarily that somebody drive, who's been driving for 10 years is automatically a better driver than somebody who's been driving for five years, right? It, matter of fact, sometimes the opposite is true because we start to develop maybe lazy or bad habits in our driving, right? So maybe the initial learning curve is a steep one and you do get better just because you're doing it. But after a while, that's not the case. So one of the things I tell my kids all the time um, is this little saying, I don't know if you've ever heard it, practice makes perfect. I really hate that saying because it's absolutely not true. So I tell the kids all the time, it's not practice does not make perfect. Practice makes permanent, right? It cements in a way of doing something. Good practice will make you better, but bad practice will lead to uh, kind of drilling in bad habits. 
So I guess what I want to tell you is I think like some of us have picked up some bad habits when it comes to communication, just like driving. I mean, once you are up that initial learning curve, you're not getting better. You're just cementing in the way you do it. So I believe what's happened is in some of our, the marriages in this room, there's just some bad habits that have been developed, some bad practices that are happening in the day-to-day of life. And it's preventing you from getting better because you've developed these certain things that can kind of be seen as barriers to you getting better. So that's what I want to talk about today. The bad practices, the bad habits you might have, um, preventing you from getting better at communication. And I just want to be honest with you guys, as I thought about this sermon, like if, if you said, Adam, you have one sermon to preach on communication to cover the most important things on it, I wouldn't preach this sermon, just so you know. I preached this sermon, I prepared this sermon, not thinking, how can I cover the entire topic? I preached this sermon, I prepared this sermon for you, Mosaic. As I've pastored you guys, as I've interacted with uh, the different stuff that I've seen in just in our church, and, and I'm prob- it's probably more universal than I want to admit, um, but I really pick the things that I, that I see as common uh, just in my everyday life. And some of the stuff that I do too, because I'm jacked up too, just so you guys know. What, are you guys okay today? You're not, you're not laughing at my little jokes and it's hurting my feelings a little bit? Okay. We'll pick it up, will you? I'm doing good up here and you guys aren't with me. Okay. Um, all right, before we jump in to this, the barriers, I want to talk to you about barriers that will prevent you from getting better at communication. I want to be sure you understand what I mean when I say the word communication, right? I need to communicate about the word communication. Um, so there are two aspects, right? There's sending and receiving and communication. Both, both are important, right? You're going to be the sender of information. You're going to be the sender of signals in your marriage, and you're going to be the receiver of information, the receiver of signals. And I think uh, we all have strengths and weaknesses uh, in those two areas, right? Some of us, and maybe most of us, are really good at sending signals, right? We believe that we can articulate our thoughts and our feelings really well, right? Even to like the level of a lawyer sometimes. We can really, really tell you how we feel in detail, bullet points. We can nail it down, okay? And if you don't understand, it's your fault, right? Um, But maybe if you have that strength, you might not be great at picking up on signals that people send you. Maybe that's a a weakness of yours that uh, it's harder for you to catch really what people are actually saying. You're really good at sending the signal. You're not very good at receiving it. Other people in here, maybe when it comes to sending signals, you just feel like you've got so much going on in here. It's so complicated. It's such a, a tangled up knot. You have a hard time articulating how you really feel and what you really think because it's a complicated thing and, and it comes out in spurts and you, you don't feel like you're very good at sending the signal, but you're really intuitive and man, you can pick up on what people are saying. You can pick up on the signals that they send. Now, I don't know which one you are, and maybe you're a little bit of a mixture of both, um, but we have to admit, if you want to get better at communication, if you want your marriage to get better, if you want to get where you're going in marriage, you're going to have to be good at both. You can't just be good at sending signals, and you can't just be good at receiving signals. You're going to have to be decent at both of them. You can still have a strength and a weakness, but you're going to have to develop that one that you're weak at. Um, So let's dive in here. Let's look at the barriers, some things that could prevent you from getting better at this. Um, The first one, I'm going to start with like a really super deep one. Um, 
I believe it's kind of like the most important, usually I save it for last, but I started with this one because I think it's important for us to have this as a foundation for everything else we talk about. So the first thing uh, that I think will prevent you from being a better communicator is you underestimate words. You underestimate the power of words. Uh, And maybe it's easy to do that. Maybe it's easy to do that. Because words are just, like, if you think about it on a very, <laughs> like, just base level, words are just noise, right? I'm, I'm, I'm literally just making noise right now. And if you've ever heard somebody speak in another language, you can really kind of, it, it kind of feels that way, right? Where they're just making noise. Now, it has meaning to somebody who speaks that language, but this is just noise, right? Isn't it weird to think that the health of your marriage is greatly affected by the noise that comes out of your mouth? It's just noise, right? Some of the marriages in this room are in really bad shape because you push air out through your vocal cords wrong. <laughs> when you just reduce it down to that, isn't that weird? You just fix that, you know? But words are powerful. The way you move your diaphragm and push air out through your throat and into your mouth, it has, I mean, it's just, it makes sounds, but it makes certain sounds, right? Specific sounds, sounds that have meaning, sounds that have power. That's weird that a sound has power. I love you. You're worthless. It's just noise. <sighs> Powerful. Yes, no. Just noise. Deep meaning. I do. I don't anymore. That's just noise. But it's noise that has power. It's noise that moves people. So uh, if you go back again to the, even before the verses we just looked at, to the very, very beginning when God is starting this whole thing off, uh, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 3, God says, uh, then God said, let there be light. And there was light. He spoke. The beginning of the universe happened through the power of God's words. So, so God's words have the power to create, like on a cosmic scale, right? And he can just speak and it happens, right? From earthworms to galaxies, God's words have the power to create. And I think there's something to that. And I really do believe um, that he wrote that kind of into creation itself. So the way he created was through the power of words. And I feel like inside of creation now, he's kind of ordained it that words carry power. And it's almost like disproportional because it's just noise, but it carries power now. That not only do God's words have the power to create, on some level, so do yours. Not on the same level as God. You can't just speak things into existence. That'd be awesome, but you can't. But your words have the power to create. And if used incorrectly, they also have the power to destroy. Right? So Proverbs 18.21 says this, Uh, The tongue can bring death or life, but those who love to talk will reap the consequences. So you create with your words. Like, I guess what I want you to know is your words are powerful whether you want them to be or not. They carry weight whether you want them to or not. You create the atmosphere of your marriage with your words. You create emotions in your spouse. You build them up or tear them down with your words. You have tremendous power. In your words, tremendous power. So I want to take that same idea that my dad talked about in the uh, video about the sculpture. I want to dumb it down a little bit. So I have a two-year-old. 
Um, well, almost two. He's going to turn two in uh, December. And we play with blocks sometimes. And what I mean when I say we play with blocks sometimes is I build them and he tears them down. Anybody else understand this? That's all we do. Um, now, I'm really good at building blocks. Just want you guys to know that is a skill that I have. Um, it's those big mega block things that we play with. And uh, I'm good. I'm just really good at it. I can build an awesome tower. And uh, as good as I am, I can build a tower that is about as tall as him in about a minute. Okay, this is how, that's how good I am. I'm just giving you a baseline, okay? Um, but I'll tell you, his name's Zeke. He can tear down that tower in less than a second. Gone. So little mini Godzilla comes through and he just tears this thing down. Um, so the ratio there, if you're keeping track, is 60 seconds to about one second. 60 seconds to build, one second to tear down. Um, what if that's the way it is? Not that exact ratio, like 60 seconds of, of building up only takes one second to tear down. But what if that's the idea that it takes a whole lot more effort to build than it does to tear down? That, that it takes more skill, it takes more effort to build than it does to tear down. So I guess I just want you to kind of plug this idea into your marriage. Which do you do more of with your spouse? Do you bring life or do you bring death? Do you build more or tear down more? What's the ratio? Even if you're good at building up, what's the ratio of building to tearing down? What if, what if it needs to be weighted on the build up side? What if, what if 50% good stuff and 50% bad stuff actually isn't right? What if you need to be way more heavily weighted on the good side? And I've said this before, but I, I think, ladies, you guys got to understand this. Um, your husband's becoming who you tell him he is. He's becoming that. Your words carry a really disproportional amount of power to men. So if you're constantly tearing him down, <laughs> guess what you're kind of turning him into? And men, you guys got to understand, your wife's becoming who you tell her she is. That's a crazy responsibility, right? Again, a crazy power that you have that you don't even realize. And what's funny is you try to tear down in order to make them into the thing that you want them to be, but you don't realize that it's actually counterproductive. You should be building, not tearing. If you want them to be something else, you should be building. Don't tear. So that's the first thing I believe. Uh, if you want to get better at communicating, you better not underestimate the power of your words. You have to weight them correctly. And maybe that right there would just solve half your problem. If you just understood that everything I say carries weight to it, maybe that by itself would be like, oh man, I better, <laughs> I better lock this down because it could change things for good or for ill. So that's the first thing. Don't underestimate the power of your words. The second thing, so I'm going to jump from really deep, like, hey, maybe God wrote into the fabric of creation that words have power, okay? We're going to go all the way deep to as shallow as possible, okay? Here's the second thing that I think is preventing you from being good at communicating. Screens. Screens. I mean that. I mean this. Isn't it ironic that a communication device is hindering our communication. <laughs> Isn't it ironic? So let's see something here. Uh, I'm going to be transparent with you guys for a minute. Uh, we're going to have a little confession time here. I know we're not Catholic and I'm not a priest, but that's okay. Um, this is going to be more like AA than Catholicism here. Um, I'll start. I'll start. I'll go first, okay? I'm going to be the brave one. Hi, my name's Adam. Thank you. 
You guys got the game really quick. I'm happy about that. It's a little worrisome, but it's okay. My name's Adam, and sometimes I stare at my phone instead of engaging with my wife and my family. Sometimes I do. And uh, it's not on purpose. I'm not sitting here thinking like, oh my gosh. I mean, when the little one's off the rails, sometimes. (laughs) But sometimes it's just easier to do this. This is easier. It takes no effort for me to stare at this. Costs me nothing emotionally to stare at this. That's just where I'm at now. Um, your turn, but I'm going to ask it different. I just, I'm afraid that sometimes what happens is we're not really aware of it. So let me ask it this way. I do want you to raise your hand so I don't feel so alone up here because I feel some of you judging me and that's cool. That's part of the risk of being transparent. Um, raise your hand if in the past month, your spouse or significant other has complained about this. Raise your hand right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and in this portion of the sermon, I'm going to give you permission to smack them if they didn't raise their hand, and they should have. None of the other times, but, but just, just right now, okay? Because guess what? This is the thing me and my wife talk about all the time. It's not if you think you do it, it's if they think they do it. Just, just, it's that they think that you do it. it you, you can, because you you're not aware of it. You're not aware that you're doing this. You don't know it. You don't know until they say it. And uh, this is so important, and I don't, I don't think we realize how much it's killing our communication. Um, part of the reason is one of the things I talk about with kids. Like, I don't think that... Um, you can just decide to have quality time with your kids. I don't think you just turn that switch on and be like, all right, this next hour is going to be quality. You're going to tell me all the deepest dreams that you have right now. You can't just do that, right? I think it flows out of quantity of time. You'll have moments where something happens. You're able to have those deeper conversations. And I think the same thing's true with your spouse. You can't just decide we're going to have a really deep conversation. I mean, you can to a certain extent, but, but a lot of times it's, it flows out of quantity of time. So... If deep communication, quality communication flows out of quantity, a screen prevents that, right? Because I bet if you're like me, you get defensive. My wife gets defensive. We both get defensive about this. And one of the things we say to each other is, well, we weren't even talking. You know, we're just driving. We're just driving the car. No, we weren't even talking. Nobody was saying anything. And it's true. Nobody was. But you ensured that that would continue that way when you did this. And there's no chance that the organic conversation will happen now because this is in the face. And, and it's not just going to flow. There's no chance for it to go from even shallow to deep because you're not even going to get shallow when you're like this. So there's this story uh, where Jesus goes to two sisters' house, Mary and Martha. If you grew up in church, you're probably familiar with the story. Mary is fully engaged with Jesus, right? She's locked in. She's hearing everything he's saying, um, super involved. Martha, Jesus says, is distracted by a great many things, right? She's distracted by a great many things. Now, if you know the story, it's because she's in the kitchen cooking. Um, Mary is present in the moment, but Martha's got a million things going on. Jesus commends Mary because Mary's present. Mary's engaged. She's in the moment. And Martha kind of gets a verbal pushback from Jesus. Now, if the story happened today, if you could modernize the story, Martha's not in the kitchen. Martha's on the couch. 
I can't believe she put that on Facebook. I cannot believe, right? That's what she's doing. What did you say, Jesus? She's, she's just totally engaged here. She's distracted by a million things on here. But even if you replace that, the story doesn't change much, right? You could, you could write pretty much the same story with her phone in her face, distracted by a great many things. So maybe a real discussion here needs to happen between you and your spouse about screens. One where you're not getting after each other in the moment, but maybe you can have this conversation while you're not having the screen in your face about what you could do to, to enable these, these organic conversations to happen. Maybe you need to set up some kind of um, rules or something. I think today's like a no screen day for us. I don't know. My wife dictated that yesterday. Um, so we're, we're trying to do this more and more and get better and better at this. Um, especially as the kids start to have devices in their faces as well. So screens, I believe, are the second thing to prevent you from being better at communication. Uh, third thing, uh, we're just going to call it interrupting. Interrupting. I just want to let it sit for a minute. You have to decide if that's something you do or not. Some of you are interrupters. <laughs> I love the people laughing. It's so good can't decide why you're laughing, but it's good. I know that's not the way you look at it, though. You look at it as like the middle of their sen- sentence interrupted the beginning of your sentence, right? Like, they just how, can't, how dare them be in the middle of a sentence when you had a thought? Um, is that too mean? <laughs> but I mean, if you look at it, like, it's, it's like somebody's having it, and, and you just come in and you T-bone that sentence, right? Because it's in your way. You feel like you got the right of way all the time. And um, we can joke about it, but I think if, and I know you have reasons too. If you're an interrupter, I know you have reasons. You can give me a bunch of reasons why you do it. Um, But I think we need, I I think the problem is deeper than you know. So check out Proverbs chapter 18, verse 13. It says, spouting off before listening to the facts is both shameful and stupid. No, foolish, sorry. My brain just makes up words. It's whatever I think. Um, Interrupting is shameful. That's the first thing. So there's an aspect of, of, of interrupting that, that like shames the person that you did it. And another way you could say it is disrespectful. You disrespect the person by uh, running them over with your words. And it's also foolish. Just so you know, if you're reading the book of Proverbs, this is this ongoing contrast between a fool and someone who's wise. You always want to be the wise person. You never want to be the foolish person. So it's foolish to interrupt. Now, I know here's the first pushback. If you're an interrupter, you're sitting here thinking, hold on, read the verse though. It says, spouting off before listening to the facts. When I interrupt, I already have them. See, your problem is, right? Your problem is you're too smart. Most of the people who interrupt, you're at least, you got a, a decently high IQ or you're quick. You know what I'm saying? Like you're able to pick up on things fast. So you're just bored. You already heard them say this already. So you're ready with your next thought. And you're like, I don't need to hear the rest of this. I already know how it's going to end. Right? Okay. So um, we're on the same page here. Let me show you another verse. Proverbs 18.2, same chapter. Fools have no interest in understanding They only want to air their own opinions. Now, you know there's a difference between hearing and understanding, right? Just because you know how the sentence is going to end doesn't mean you understand it. And I would say, listen, this is really important if you're an interrupter. Um, Your perspective is wrong if you interrupt because you think you already heard what they're saying. Even if you heard it, and honestly, even if you understood it, interrupting 
sends the signal that you don't care. You're saying without saying that what your spouse says doesn't really matter. They won't feel like they're heard even if they are. They won't feel respected even if they are. They won't feel understood even if they are. They will not feel valued even if they are. You're sending a different signal. See, and that's the thing. I think people always view interrupting as a listening problem. And that's why it bounces off of you because you're like, no, I listen. I listen way better than you think. That's why I'm able to interrupt because I already know what they're going to say before they say it, right? So it's not a listening problem for you. What you need to realize is it's not a receiving thing. This is a sending thing. You're sending a signal by interrupting. You're sending the signal that you don't respect or care about what they're saying. Whether you mean to or not, and that's what I'm telling you, it doesn't matter if you respect them, you're sending the signal that you don't. It doesn't matter if you value what they're saying, you're sending the signal that you don't. So man, whatever you can do to slow down on the interrupting is going to be such a huge thing for the communication in your marriage. I used to do this thing when I was a youth pastor. We, we had a Nerf ball, and you're only allowed to talk if you had the Nerf ball in your hand. And I thought about like, giving you that advice that so you should do that, but then I thought, no, they're going to throw the Nerf ball at each other. I probably shouldn't tell them to do that. <laughs> right? It'll turn to a softball. I'll be like, what? Um, but honestly, whatever it takes, I really think whatever it takes, I know some of you sitting here thinking, oh, holding a ball is childish. Having a conversation is childish. No interrupting is, actually. I don't know if you caught a big piece of my parents' talk about communication is, is dealing with children. Um, so for me, it was a big signal that got sent. Like, you don't interrupt. <sighs> you don't interrupt. <laughs> um, the adults are talking. We're not going to come in and invade. Um, it's childish to invade, right? It's childish to think that you can just blast into and T-bone a conversation. That's the childish thing. So whatever you can do, whatever you can do, and some people bite their tongues, literally bite their tongues. Some people pinch themselves. Some people, you know, have to put their hand over the mouth so that they just remind themselves, I'm not going to start until you stop. I'm not going to enter into a sentence in the middle of yours. Whatever you can do to send the signal that you respect and value what they're saying. Interrupting. So don't underestimate the power of your words. Get the screens out of your face. Stop interrupting. Fourth thing, uh, deep thing, bitterness can prevent you from getting better communication. Now, I have this much of my sermon on bitterness. Bitterness is like a whole sermon series by itself, so I'm not going to do this justice, but I just want to throw this out here as one of the things that I think will prevent you from being better, uh, getting better at communication. See, some of the reason you can't communicate effectively in the present is because of the past. You can't have a conversation about what's happening now because of what's already happened, right? Every conversation seems to have chains attached to it that go way back. You can't just talk about what's happening right now. You have to talk about every similar instance that's ever happened ever. Your words that you use a lot are words like always. You always and never. You never you're a historian, a really good historian, or an archaeologist. You dig things up a lot, right? You, just, you find useful things all the time that you can bring up whenever you need to bring them up. And you're bitter. You're bitter. And I get it. You've been hurt. They did do those things. And they are doing those things. That's the worst part, right? You're bitter not because they did it, but because they keep doing it. 
They did it before and they're doing it now and you're pretty sure they're going to keep doing it. So you have wounds, justifications of your bitterness. But I want you to know, bitterness has a way of flavoring everything. It almost can be a self-fulfilling prophecy. If you keep bitterness, you're going to create something with that even. So Hebrew, Hebrews 12, 15 says this, uh, look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out so that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. So this, I, I love the language for us to think about that, that bitterness is poison. It's poison. Your communication in your marriage is poisoned if you're bitter. So, what, and you don't even know it. It's kind of like a fish doesn't know it's in water. You don't even realize that bitterness is kind of coloring everything that you're doing. Your ability to become one is greatly hindered because of that poison. So let me just briefly say, you have to forgive. If you are a Christian, you have no business holding on to bitterness. None. You have to. Christian, to be a Christian means you are a forgiver because you are forgiven, right? Um, one of Jesus' disciples asked him, as um, deep question, how many times should I forgive? Like seven? You know, and he thought that was a good thing. And if Jesus had said, yes, your marriage is over in the first week, right? Ish, probably. <laughs> it's seven. Now we're, we're there already. This is over. But Jesus said, no, seven times 70. And he didn't mean 490. He just meant as many times as necessary. Forgive as many times as you need to. So I want you to know people who have good, healthy marriages, they're really good at forgiving. It's not that they don't have problems. It's that they're really good at forgiving and moving on past those things. So I don't have time to go into all this, and I know that some of you really struggle with bitterness, but man, you cannot hold on to it. And I know it's a complicated thing. I was talking to Jonathan about this this morning. I, like, I don't even know how to tell you how to navigate a conversation where um, there's a pattern that you need to develop or that you need to address this pattern that, that you see in the relationship um, without having bitterness kind of painted all over that pattern that you want to point out, because it's not just that they do it, it's that they always do it. Um, or that they've continued to do it and you want to address the whole thing, not just this thing. Um, but if you're bitter, it won't work. It won't work. So man, whatever you can do, pray through that. Pray through that. Make that between you and God. Lord, I, I don't want to be bitter towards my spouse. Help me forgive. Help me forgive. Help me forgive. And then work it out with them as best you can and then be done with it and start new. Start new. Have new conversations. Don't have the same conversation. Again, have new conversations. Whatever you can do. Bitterness. All right, last thing, last thing, short thing. Uh, last thing that's hindering your ability to communicate is apathy. Not caring. This will destroy your ability to communicate well. Matter of fact, in your marriage, the most important aspect of communication is just caring, right? That'll make or break you here. You could have a golden tongue and you could put sentences together better than Shakespeare. You could be a better listener than the most seasoned therapist, but if you don't care, <laughs> that'll matter. And maybe that's your issue. Maybe you've gotten to the point in your marriage where you just don't care. Just don't care. It's not a skill thing. It's not a learned thing. It's a heart thing. And that's a dangerous place to be. I think that's like a God-sized problem. So Hebrews 12, 12 says this. This is one of my favorite verses. Take a new grip with your tired hands and strengthen your weak knees. I think that like needs to be a prayer for you. If you've gotten to the point where you just don't care anymore, you're like, man, whatever. This is, every time we have these conversations, it's the same thing. I just feel like I'm slamming my head against the wall. I don't even care anymore. You need to pray this prayer as a prayer. Lord, help my tired hands. Help me to get a new grip on this thing. Help my knees, they're weak, Lord. I don't think I can do this much longer. You need to pray this as a prayer. 
And you need to get back to communicating, man. Get back to dreaming together about what the future could be like. Get back to sharing those, those expectations, those deep unspoken expectations that you're maybe even embarrassed to share with your spouse, but get back to being open about that. Sharing your feelings, and I know that's not the super masculine thing to do, but man, you gotta find a way for two to become one, and communication is gonna be a vehicle for that to happen. And I just wanna... And by saying, hey, it was awkward learning how to drive. It was mechanical. It was weird. It, every single thing you did had to like overthink every part of the process. And what if it's going to be the same way right now when you say, you know what? We're going to make it a goal to get better at communication. What if at first it's awkward? I guess that's the thing I just want to kind of like, maybe you just need to have permission to, it's going to be. Don't turn around and stop because it's weird, because you feel like I can't quite get this out of my mouth the way I want it to be, and this is weird, me trying to tell you how I feel, so I'm not going to do it anymore. Like, Don't let the awkwardness of those beginning stages cause you to turn around. You didn't let it stop you from learning how to drive. Don't let it stop you from learning how to communicate. Push through that. Push through the awkwardness. Push through the mechanical feeling at first, and really, really make it your goal to get good at this. So which, which barrier is yours? Which barrier today uh, is God kind of pointing out in your heart to say, man, you need to get after this one. Do you need to put that screen down? Do you need to understand the power of your words? Do you need to forgive? Where are you at? Let's pray. Jesus.